Morning, everyone. Are we well? Good. I'm really excited to be speaking to you today. Um, if I have never had the opportunity of introducing myself to you, forgive me. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm married to an amazing lady called Philippa, and I've been part of this church now for around about 12 years. We have two um, very wonderful children. So we have a, a, a daughter who's 18 months old. Her name is Lexi. and uh, She's super beautiful, super cute. And uh, we have a little boy called James who's three. And uh, he's brilliant, and I love hanging out with him. And uh, just yesterday morning, we've got this thing called a grow clock. I don't know whether any parents have uh, ever had a grow clock before. Love the grow clock, by the way. So he can't tell the time yet. So the deal is that while the clock remains dark with a picture of the moon, he stays in bed. And then as soon as the grow clock turns bright, sunny, smiley, he can come out. So 7.15 yesterday morning, Saturday morning, James bursts into our bedroom. It's morning! And I'm like, dude... It's still, still very early. Maybe we should be a little bit more quiet. And uh, I was like, Mummy's still sleeping. And he's like, let's make Mummy breakfast in bed. I'm like, dude, dude, we don't have to do that every week. It was Mother's Day last week. And, um, and I said to, said to him, look, why don't, why don't we go down? Why don't we go down and we'll watch a little bit of TV? And he's like, yeah, I'll watch one episode of Dino Trucks and you can watch one episode of football. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of cute. That's kind of real. And for those of you who are parents who have little kids, Dino Trucks is awesome. It's this like this fantastic combination of dinosaurs and trucks. I mean, what else is there? Dino Trucks, all right? So check it out. Well, um, this morning, I've got the privilege of, of concluding a little series that we have been doing. Now, uh, let me just ask you a question. Do you want to see the world changed? I, I do. I genuinely do. I want to see the world changed for the glory of God, and I want to see Bedford changed as well. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at what our culture is and what are the defining points that have helped us to shape it. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about generosity. I want to talk to you a little bit about the fact that actually it's Christ who has made a way, and we are to model him when it comes to being generous and serving other people in what he's called us to do. All right? So we're going to look at a very provoking chapter and part of scripture in John chapter 13, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, jump in there with me. Now the background is, the context of Jesus washing his, the disciples' feet here, is that they've come together for a feast um, just before Easter is upon them, or indeed obviously it wasn't Easter at the time, but certainly before uh, they gathered, gathered together and Jesus was going to take his journey to Calvary and then rise again on Easter Sunday, but they've gathered together um, just before the Passover feast, this Jewish celebration, and there is incredible excitement in the town as hundreds, if not thousands of people have gathered for it. So let me read you this passage. It says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Now jump down to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. But now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know, I was uh, in my mid-20s, 24 years old, as I started exploring some of the claims of Christianity and uh, trying to work out in my own mind whether I could put my uh, trust in the Bible and whether I thought there was any uh, truth in the story of Jesus. And as I started to look at Jesus' life and the things that he did, I was captivated. I was captivated by the miracles that he did, which were quite incredible. I was captivated by um, the teaching that he shared, which genuinely have shaped our society in so many of the most positive ways. I was captivated by the fact that he made these claims to be God himself. Man, they're claims that need to be tested. But you know, one of the things that stood out most to me was his character. It's quite astonishing. His character, the way that he lived his life. And this is one of those incredible examples of showing such humility and yet a desire to serve people. And we need to understand the significance of the context to fully grasp why this is important. Because understand that the roads that people are walking on at this point, there's no cars, there's, there's nothing that's going to carry people, are unsurfaced and unclean. And often in and around Palestine then, they were dry um, and they were almost one or two inches worth of dusty mud just set up in that regard for people to plow through. So people have got filthy feet. And when it rained, it would be even worse. So that dust would just churn into liquid mud and people would be filthy. And what would happen is that as you enter a household, there would be a bowl alongside the door, and it would be the responsibility of the servants and the slaves. Now, the, the second lowest servant or slave would be the person who was responsible for unbinding the sandals from people's legs, and then the very lowest servant or slave would be the person who is responsible for washing the feet of those who walk in. The idea of someone in Jesus' position as a, as a kind of leader of those who would follow to actually put aside his role and stature is absolutely scandalous. The fact that he was willing to serve in this way. So while others are reclining, Jesus gets up, takes off his tunic, and like a servant or slave, begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now he's willing to serve others, and he tells us to do the same. Now, Verse 15 there says this, I've given you an example to follow. I've given you, King's Arms Church, an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So I want to ask us the question this morning, how are we do it, doing it following him? All right? How are we doing it being in step with him, of walking in tune with him? Now, imagine for a moment that we've got this scale right here, Okay? And we've got a zero to ten. Ten is that you're incredibly close, you're walking in tune with him, you're following him with all your heart, mind, and strength. And maybe it's the case that you're here, and actually you'd say, actually, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. I just want to say to you, you are so welcome here. You're so welcome here. I'm thrilled by the fact that you're coming and you're being around kind of us, and you're kind of looking at some of these things. But there'll be people who can almost think, okay, well, where am I? Now, for clarity, this is not a morality scale. All right? It's not a goodness scale. This is how close are we walking with Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is to see what we can do to move on a step. Okay? 
And so it might be here this morning, you're like, actually, I think, I think I'm probably a two in my life. Well, hey, maybe, maybe you want to be a three, all right? And I'm like, yes, that's amazing. I don't actually mind where you are. Maybe you'd say, right now, I'm a six. And uh, maybe by the end of this message, you're like, you know what, I'm going to make some decisions because I want to be a seven. Maybe it's the case that you're like, actually, I'm a ten. Well, if that's the case, please spend the rest of the message praying for me, all right? Because actually, I feel like we can all grow in our relationship with Jesus and how closely we follow him. My conviction is this. If every single person in this room who's part of our church can move on one step, I'll tell you the difference it could make. If we moved on maybe two steps, I think we could change Bedford. Imagine if we moved three steps. I think we could change the nation. That's not just words. God's got his hand on this community in a wonderful way. And actually, as we get step by step with him, we've got to realize that he's going to do remarkable things through us. Now, I love this church. I unashamedly, I say it a lot, I know. Anyone who kind of spends any time with me, I'm like, yay, King's Arms. It's been my home for kind of the last 12 years since I became a Christian. And uh, I'm passionate about it. I think we've got incredibly gifted uh, musicians and we've got this stunning building that kind of God built for us. And um, we've got uh, so many wonderful things. I love the values and I love the things that are written down. I love the branding. I love that logo, right? <laughs> but I know I'm a geek. But the reality is all of those things are actually quite... Uh, facial things. What's important is what's in the hood, okay? Anyone who has got any interest in cars will realize, actually, a car can look really pretty on the outside, but actually it's what's on the inside which matters. Now, what's on the inside of King's Arms Church is what I want to ask, because actually that's not what happens from the front often. It's actually what happens with you. How are we doing? How are you doing? Because you are the church. The church isn't the leaders. The church isn't a building. You are the church, Let's look under the hood. Now, to understand this passage again, there's two different parts to it. There's the encouragement to serve and be generous with ourselves, and there's also the symbolism, which is really uh, powerful and in our faces there. So what we need is, we're going to do is ask the question that Jesus asked. Do you understand, verse 12 this was, do you understand what I have done for you? Now, Jesus uh, washing the disciples' feet is demonstrating and showing the fact that actually he's washed us, cleansed us from our sin. Praise God. And so this foot washing is a picture of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. And so it's through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and then his resurrection that actually we can know forgiveness from the past, of all the filth that was in our lives, and be clean and born again to a new life. And that's good news, right? Last week, um, I was in a, a town in Northern Ireland called Coleraine. And um, a stunning place. We went there to just to be inspired by a, a group of us did, inspired by a church there who's just seeing remarkable things for God. And um, Coleraine, though, this town in Northern Ireland was a town which had been um, damaged by an awful lot of the violence between the kind of religious conflicts and clashes over a number of years. And this picture, which is behind me that Steve's just put on, is in 1992. Now, although there were many bombings that went off which actually did kill people, this was a bombing that didn't. However, there was a huge amount of damage to the town centre, and this is right in the town square. But this is one of the things that actually the church and Coleraine have decided to do, to redeem almost the most broken elements, the most broken parts. And now what they do on every Saturday morning is they do something called HOTS, Healing on the Streets. 
And so they sit, set up these chairs and look to be a blessing and to wash the feet of their town. And it's quite an astonishing thing. They're seeing remarkable breakthrough. They're seeing incredible um, stories of people healing as they're just looking to bless people and serve people and love people in the center of their town. Now, I couldn't tell you that without telling you a story about one of the things that happened, right? So let me tell you what's happened in the autumn of uh, 2015. So just around about six months ago, there was a boy called Joshua. Now, Joshua was uh, 14 years of age, and he'd spent the last six months in hospital. He had golf ball-sized tumors, and, and the doctors had said it's actually a terminal cancer. He had four treatments of chemotherapy, many operations, and to the point where the doctors were now saying that they were inoperable. There's nothing more we can do. And so Joshua had been 11 stone, but he had been um, reduced because of the treatments and so on down to just seven stone. And what happened was that his mom, who a lady called Kim, phoned up Mark Marks, who's one of the guys who leads the Healing on the Streets ministry. And she just said, hey, look, if we, if we bring him, he's very fragile, but if we bring him, would you be willing to pray? Now, sure enough, in the coming week, they brought him along, and uh, he actually came along in his wheelchair. And Mark, one of the guys who was telling me this story, said that as he kind of knelt alongside them, he could almost see a fog, almost like a mist in his eyes, almost that like he could see the sense of death over this boy. But what they did is that they kneeled down simply to wash the feet of and just to sit with and pray for this young boy. And Mark was provoked to answer the, ask the question, look, is there, is there just one thing in your body just now, one particular area of pain that you would like us to, us to pray for, just a sign that God knows and he's in this? And he spoke about a pain that was in his side, and so Mark prayed along with the team their very best prayers. And the grandma who was alongside them, who had come along as well, she was a real skeptic. But suddenly everyone's faces turned to joy as the pain had started to lift in this boy's side. Within a few moments, everyone was weeping because of the fact that he was dancing around that square. Now, now, he walked away pushing his wheelchair, trying to help his mum get it into the back of the car. The following day, he was on a water slide, Three days later, he was rock climbing. Three weeks later, he was at a Christian youth camp. And everyone knows how crazy the Christian youth camps are, right? <laughs> now, he went back to the doctors, and they could not believe the fact that they couldn't find a trace of the cancer that had been in his body. Now, you know, so thrilled and so encouraged by what God's doing, this is the front page of the Belfast Telegraph, which reported about this story. And this right here is Joshua, next to his mom, Kim, now free of cancer. Isn't that incredible? But what, what I love about it is that this church is wanting to connect with people and to serve their town really well. And it's the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus, that's transforming and people, setting people free. Now, he, do you know he's still doing it today? 
He was doing it in the autumn. That article happened to be in December of last year. But um, um, he's still doing it today. So I went out with some of their evangelists. And uh, just for an hour and a half, I was like, I just want to get up close and really personal to some of the things that are going on. And um, one of the guys there, a guy called Alan McNamara, showed me just a tool that they do to be able to get into conversations. And uh, I'll put the image again behind you on the, on the screen. But they basically showed this image. Now, this image basically portrays a verse in the Bible in Revelation 3.20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door to me, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. It's a cool verse. And what it basically does is it allows people to explore for them, hey, you know that actually Jesus would love to be in your life as well. He'd love to be in relationship with you. Have you ever opened the door of your life to him? So we were talking through how this would work, and then we were like, all right, well, let's, let's actually do it with someone. Let's share the picture and see if we can get into conversation with somebody. So the first person that we turned around at that point to speak to was a lady called Kelly. And uh, Kelly stopped somewhat in her tracks and was captivated by the picture and then began to say to us that, you know, this, this is crazy, but it was only this week that I was thinking about going to church. And uh, we began to say to her that if I actually... It's things in all of our lives which keep that door shut. And the Bible calls it sin. And sin is almost like baggage that we carry around with us in a rucksack. And so if you're carrying a rucksack right now, do you think there is sin? Do you think there is shame? Do you think there is regret in your bag? And she said, yeah, do you know, my, my bag would be pretty heavy. And then we were able to say, well, that actually is like a debt before God. But do you know the incredible thing? Is that there is a free gift, if you like, a check that would pay for all of that debt, and it's paid for by the blood of Jesus. Right. And you know, on, in that previous square that I showed you a moment ago, we led this lady to Jesus. And we were able to <laughs> prophesy, yeah, you can, you can give that one for us. We were able to prophesy life over her. She literally was kind of weeping as she was saying, how do you know this stuff about me? And we were able to prophesy over circumstances and realize that God was speaking to her in that moment. It was a beautiful thing. I'm so inspired that God's touching lives right now. Do you know, on Friday, and some of us, and you'd be very welcome to come and join us if you'd like to, but some of us sometimes go out onto the streets with a simple desire to want to love on people well. It might even be people who are in this room right now who we originally had contact with out in a street-type environment. But sometimes we go and do that. We simply want to share and demonstrate God's love. But on Friday, Steph Miles was out, and he approached you guys with the picture, but simply asked them the question, hey, guys, how are you doing? And... Uh, the first lad said, well, he's doing brilliantly. He's just lost his virginity. And it transpired as they shared that actually they were both 18 years of age. And as a birthday gift, one of them had paid 30 pounds for the other to have 10 minutes with a Bedford prostitute in a brothel. Now... Honestly, I'm, I was sat in my office just weeping because it's tragic. Because it's tragic. But then I remembered that Jesus went out and met a lady who was caught in adultery. And in that moment, he showed her such love, such acceptance. And where everyone else was so judgmental, actually he said, neither do I condemn you. I go and sin no more. It breaks my heart to think that this is happening in our town. But you know what? I'm so glad and so proud of Steph. 
because he got to lead these two lads in a prayer of commitment because they wanted to come to Jesus on Friday afternoon. You see, Jesus purchased our lives for a purpose. He did. He's taken all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness. Whether you're muddy up to your eyeballs and found in a town center, God loves you and he's for you. And he's made us to serve people and to love people back to life. You know, we don't serve God out of guilt or fear or duty. Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? But out of joy and a deep gratitude for what he's done. Romans 12 says, Brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. And let us, um, this is truly the way to worship him. Actually, our serving the town and serving others is worship. John goes even further and says, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves, it proves that we have passed from death to life. There was one commentator who I was so provoked by, he put it like this, if I have no love for others, no desire to serve others, then I'm only concerned about my needs. I should question whether Christ is really in my life. Because a saved heart is one that wants to serve. All right, let me tell you, back to the passage, all right? Verses three and four. This is where the moment clicked in for me, okay? In verse three, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. He knew that. He knew who he was. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. Do you see the connection? Jesus knew who he was, so he served them. Jesus knew what God had called him to, knew the identity that he had, knew the the hunger and the heart that had, had, had been put inside of him, and so he was able to. That's the foundation of where this comes from. And yet he's the one person who you'd expect, hey, he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords. Surely he shouldn't be served. And yet look, or surely she shouldn't have to serve, but look what he does. What I believe uh, strongly that this passage is saying is this, saved people serve people. All right? Saved people serve people. Now, understand, what I'm not saying there is that everyone actually needs to serve. Because it might be the case that you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. I'm just so glad that you're here. Like, bottom line, be our guest. We want to wait on you, care for you. If you'd like to help with things, brilliant. I'm thrilled about that. But actually, you're our guest here. What I want to do is to provoke all of us, though, to say that if we're a follower of Jesus, a genuine, surrendered my life to him, follower of Jesus, then I will serve. I can't help but not. It's who I am now. But you don't have to be perfect, actually. None of us are. But we're created to make a difference. And the worst lie that we can probably believe in the midst of this is that I'm ordinary, I'm average, I've got nothing to bring. Because God has never made ordinary, and he's never made average, and you are neither of those things, and you've got something to bring. If we want to become more like Jesus and we want to get this deeply rooted in our lives, actually focusing on generosity and serving is the place to start. But this transforms everything, okay? So if you want to improve your marriage, be great at serving your spouse. If you want to improve your workplace, be great at serving those around you, your colleagues. If you want to improve your friendships, be the best server and be the most generous person that you can be to the friends around you. If you want to discover your spiritual gifts, 
best thing you can do is start to serve those around you. And I believe that this encouragement covers two banks of things specifically, okay? It talks about uh, demonstrating generosity and service inside the church and outside the church. I've heard it said like this before, the church is not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. I was uh, uh, saved, I became, came into a relationship with Jesus uh, when I was 24 years old, it was 2014. And uh, just the following year, I was so pumped up to start telling people about Jesus that I decided that we were going to start running Alpha courses in my home. And so this picture right here, it was the first ever Alpha course that I led, which is kind of cool. So uh, this fine lady in the middle here, some of you might recognize, this is the amazing Lisa Rooney down here. And um, Lisa and I, um, it was around about 10 years ago now, this was the very first Alpha course, all right? There were five people, and uh, they were sat in our lounge, and we would just spend time listening to them, loving them, talking about Jesus. But do you know what? There was a point three quarters of the way through the course. Honestly, I was freaking out a little bit, because I wanted to give them the opportunity of responding to Jesus. Like, do you want to know a relationship with God in your life? And so I was panicking, thinking, am I going to get this wrong? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Because this has eternal consequences. If I pray this prayer that suddenly is heretical, then maybe they're just not going to find God. But that night, for the first time I'd ever led anyone to Christ, we prayed this prayer, and all five of them, I don't know if you remember, Lisa, all five of them responded to Jesus and said, yes, I want that in my life. No. Do you know, that night broke me. I remember going up into the loft where we had a room. I was living with a guy called Matt Peacock. Again, some of you might know. He's part of the church here. And he and I just chatted in the loft. And I was just crying. Being like, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to just serve and to love on these guys. And then to have eternal consequences to the things that we're doing. Yeah. I was just broken by it. And you know, there are people in this community who are absolute heroes of mine who make this verse in 1 Peter come alive. It says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I'll tell you about one particular hero of mine, Emma Maynard. All right? Now, many of you might not even know Emma Maynard, but Emma Maynard, for the last two Alpha and Beta courses, has done an incredible job of preparing, organizing, and coordinating to feed upwards of 70 people a week. And she's done it every single week for the last year. That means that she's catered for over 1,000 people, 1,000 meals, right? She similarly has been the primary server and caterer at a New Day festival where we've sent 60 or 70 kids for the last few years. And she's been there for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, which by my reckoning is over a thousand in that week alone meals served. This woman is amazing and she's using her God-given talents. But you know, in reality, I could have picked out a whole number of people there. I could have picked out Pam Shattuck. I could have picked out Donna Saunders. I could have picked out Sarah Pettit. I could have picked out Mel um, uh, and, and, and Elaine. I could have picked out Don and Margaret Henson. These people are heroes of mine and may never stand at the front holding a microphone. Do you understand? And yet every single life that we see changed is testament to the fact that they've given of themselves to serve in this church. Using, using your time, your talents, 
and your, the thing, the gift that God's given you is a way of serving him, and Jesus counts that as greatness. Let me talk to you for a minute about kids' workers. I love our kids' workers. I'm so grateful for our kids' workers. I've been reading uh, uh, recently about an incredible evangelist, a guy called D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, and uh, he saw remarkable things happen in the States. I'm only partway through the book, but here's something that stood out to me. There was a, a, an evangelistic meeting, right, where he was leaving, and then someone came up to me and said, how many were saved tonight? And Moody replied, two and a half. The friend, the friend said, oh, you mean two adults and one child? And Moody re- replied, no, two children and one adult. Because Moody understood that having a long life ahead of them was more important to the Lord. say something. You know, when you're volunteering and when you're giving yourself to something like King's Kids, you are not missing the meeting. You are being the church. You are being the church. You're living it. You're incarnating what it is to be the church, okay? Because these little people, they are little people, but they're not lesser people. And it's so valuable. And you know, I, I so want to provoke you. you know, if there's a passion inside of you to, to, to serve, to pray, and to care for them, just as Jane Finch so wonderfully provoked us just a couple of weeks ago about her story, please sign up. Sign up to help us. Because you're transforming the lives of not just this generation, for generations to come. Yeah. What about other things? I don't know um, whether you're, you're friends with uh, kind of Liam Pickford. He's a friend of mine, and I, I asked with his permission to share something that he's, he posted on Facebook just a couple of days ago, because his mother actually passed away uh, in the last couple of weeks. And he wrote this about her journey. It says, faith is a personal thing in many ways, but like joy, it's one of those things that get be- it's better when it's shared. But my mum didn't think so. She suffered some unimaginable hurts that caused deep wounds and knocked her faith. She asked me to respect her wishes and not talk about Jesus to her. It was tough. She lived with me for the last three years of her life, and I respected her wishes, only sharing about Jesus when she asked. And then the year before last, she said she'd come to a carol service in my church. So she came. J. John preached a beautiful gospel and wove in some challenges to unbelievers and reluctant believers in wonderful humor. My mom thought it was hilarious. At the end of the message, he explained he was going to make an altar call. He explained what that meant and what exchange went on in giving your life to Jesus. This was one altar call that wasn't going to happen by accident. Then he invited folk who wanted to accept Jesus as saviour to the front of the church. My mum asked me to get by and at the end of the pew she turned to go to the toilet. I was crestfallen at first but I decided to thank God for the folk who were giving their lives to Jesus. But blow me down if my mum didn't come back and go up to the front to accept Jesus into her life. She, it continues, she never came back to church. She didn't go around sharing Jesus. She didn't discuss her conversion past a couple of sentences. And that is the scandal of salvation. It isn't dependent on anything we do except that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and ask him into our hearts. We can't add anything to our salvation and we can't take anything away. Jesus did it all. And as he was dying, he said, it is finished. Because he did the complete work, not leaving anything for us to do to earn it, so I had peace in sending my mom off today. Thank you, Jesus. What a saviour. 
you know, as I read that story, not only am I so encouraged, but I'm so thankful for every single person who put out a chair, who welcomed people at the car park. I'm so thankful for those who served drinks. I'm so thankful for the people who, who spent time and effort in, on PA and singing in the choir and organizing the visuals and getting the PowerPoints ready and you know, doing the, the lighting and decorating the trees and so many different things. Because every single one of you, I need you to know, has had a hand in something which is going to now echo into eternity. Every single week as you serve and as you share here, you're having that kind of difference. And that, again, is greatness. And thank you for playing your part. We serve inside the church, and we can serve outside the church. A question that I've been thinking about for a few years now is, is, is what does it mean for me to be Jesus in skin to people, that they would come into contact with me and see what love looks like? How am I using my times, talents, and treasure to be able to serve others? And the reality is that we can seek opportunities to do good without expecting anything in return now. There's a guy called David Wilkerson who gave himself to some of the most violent people in New York and uh, saw a remarkable transformation in a guy called Nicky Cruz. You can read two books about it. One's called Run, Baby, Run. The other one's called The Cross and the Switchblade. But a quote that really stood out to me about, from David Wilkerson as he was reaching into these violent gangs, he said this, God uses people to perform his work. He doesn't send angels. He uses burdened, broken-hearted, weeping men and women. And sometimes these things that we make decisions to pursue and how to love people and serve people, sometimes they're spontaneous, sometimes they're planned. It was um, about last August time when I was walking around a lake in Milton Keynes just praying, and I kind of wanted to start leading a missional community. I wanted to be uh, part of something that was going to be missional and part of a group in here. And I, but I felt like, you know, God, I'm too busy for that. But what God spoke to me about was the idea of starting a missional community around photography, you see, I love photography. It gives me life, and it gives me joy to be able to do it. And so this group right here is now a whole bunch of people who now take people who aren't part of the church, who aren't Christians, and we just want to bless their socks off. We take them out for drinks, and we um, buy them gifts, and we tell them that they're precious, and they're beautiful, and that God made them with a purpose, and then we just give them as much as we can. We're just, you know, people like um, these guys, Rob and Phil, and others actually who are part of the group are simply doing that. What I want to provoke you with is to be thinking about how can you do the same thing? What gives you life such that you can bless other people? Maybe God's got a missional community idea birthed inside of your heart. I know of one family that I was chatting to last week who told me over dinner that he and his son wanted to bless their street. So they decided that they would knock on doors and say, look, we've got a pressure washer. We'd love to wash your bin. Brilliant. I loved it. Like the idea of him going up and down the street and then getting to wash people's bins out, practically serving and loving people. Let me tell you about a young boy that I heard of. Now, he had been asked to do a presentation in his class on friendship. And so he thought to himself, look, I can't really speak about friendship without speaking to people about the person who's my closest friend, a friend that sticks closer than the brother, a friend that will never leave me. And he wanted to talk about his friend Jesus. And so with great boldness, he stood and he shared, and he told people about this incredible friend. And at the end of the message... He said to people, look, if your heart is burning right now and that you want to know this friend in your life, then here's how you can get to know him. And he led 11 people to Jesus. Isn't that astonishing? You know, wherever you've been put, God can use you. Wherever. Don't 
fall into the trap of thinking that actually I need to be a, a, a preacher, I need to, to have to be, have some kind of profile in the church, because if you're a window cleaner, be the best window cleaner and bring God's kingdom doing that. If you're in business, make brilliant businesses that are full of in- integrity and honor and support. Make that your mission field, so that you're going to love people and bring his kingdom through it. In everywhere in your life, whether you're a mechanic or whether you're someone who sits at the school gate, love people well from where you're at, because that's is greatness. As a believer, we have nothing to prove, but we have everything to give. And when God's people act like this with generosity, act like this, being radically serving others, people can't help but be provoked and inspired. Instead of telling people kind of what they should do, let's model what it was to be like God, where God gave the thing that was the most very precious gift that he had, giving his only son. And he land by saying this, the last verse in our passage there said this, now you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. He doesn't say thinking about them. He doesn't say believing that they're true. He doesn't say God will bless you when you write them down in note form on the church on a Sunday, because I heard that. Provokingly, this is a message that demands a response. And it demands us to put action and put legs on these things. It says, God will bless you for doing them. 